Well, all right, it's good to be with you guys today. We are uh, continuing through First Peter. We are um, gonna be looking specifically at verse 11 today. Um, We're gonna be in First Peter today, and uh, we're gonna be looking for just a second in verse nine and 10, and then we're gonna uh, kind of camp out in verse 11. Um, I wanna ask you a question. If I were to ask you this, how would you answer it? If I were to ask you the question, how, or rather, why does a Christian not sin? How would you answer that question? Why does a Christian not sin? How would you answer that question? I think a lot of people might say, well, it's wrong, or or it hurts God, or you know, God's holy and therefore we should walk in holiness. And all those would be correct answers. <clears throat> but what we're gonna do today is we're gonna see how Peter kind of puts some layers under that and gives us an idea of why is it that you and I are called to walk in holiness in light of our identity. Now last week we looked at verses nine and 10 in 1 Peter 2, and the scripture talks about how for those of us who have put our lives and have put the weight of our eternities and the trust of our eternities upon the rock of Jesus that we now have a new identity. In other words, if we have trusted in Christ as the cornerstone, we now have things that define our lives more so than our jobs, more than our race, more than our personalities. We have a new reality that defines us as Christians. <clears throat> now let's read this together. First uh, Peter, let's look at verse nine. This is where I kind of left off last week. Peter said this as he's defining our new reality. He said, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. All right. That's our identity in Jesus. Now what Peter's going to do now in the next verse in verse 11 is he's going to talk about how you and I are to live differently in light of the fact that we have this new identity that defines us in Jesus. Now what I'm going to do before I get to 11 is I want to go back to nine for just a second. And there's, there's a spot that I skipped last week and I skipped it intentionally because what he, what he tells us in this little section in verse nine that I skipped is he talks about how hear this, that you and I actually now in Christ have the ability and the desire to live in holiness. So let's go back to verse nine, look at it again very quickly, and then we'll go to, to 11. <clears throat> Peter says, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Watch this, he says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Peter's in this verse where he's talking about your identity, your chosen race, your royal priesthood, you're, you're a people for God's own possession. And then he kind of pauses and he makes this statement. He's like, oh, by the way, you need to know something about you at your salvation is that God called you out of darkness and he called you into his light. And what does he mean by that? Well, the scripture over and over and over and over again talks about how our state and our identity before Christ intervened in our lives and saved us, before we became believers, the scripture over and over and over again defines us as people that were walking in darkness. That's our identity. That's what we were doing before we were saved. We were walking in darkness. <clears throat> Jesus says in John 12, 46, don't turn there. 
But Jesus said this, he said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And so Jesus said, I came to this world, I am the light, I did that so that you would not stay in the state of darkness. And in, uh, in let's see, in Ephesians 5, 8, Paul is speaking about us before our salvation. And he said, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. And so walk as children of light. And so before you and I were saved, right, the, the way that the scripture defines us is we were in a state of darkness. And, and that primary, primarily means two things. First one is that you and I before Christ were in a state of intellectual darkness. We were in a state of intellectual darkness, which means this, that you and I, did not, before Christ, did not have the ability to know or to see or to understand the truths of God. All right, before you were saved, you did not have the ability to understand or believe the truths of God. You were in intellectual darkness. Watch this, Ephesians four seventeen. <clears throat> Paul says, so I say this, and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk in, uh, or, or you rather, you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of your mind. Look at verse 18. He says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. First Corinthians 2, 14 says, but the natural man, that's, that's a non-believing man, <clears throat> but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Scripture talks about over and over again, before Jesus intervenes, we're in a state of intellectual darkness, which means we do not have the ability to understand or comprehend the truths of God. And church, I can't tell you how many times over the years where I have asked somebody about their testimony, asked somebody about how they got saved and what it was like, that they give me some version of this story they say, well, Matt, you know, I, <clears throat> I grew up, I, I read the Bible on and off throughout my entire life. I've even studied the Bible, and it never made any sense to me. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It was a mystery to me. But then I, I went to this event, or I heard this sermon, or, or I had this experience, and I trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then almost immediately, like night and day, I go back to the Word of God, and all of a sudden, I just got it. All of a sudden, I understood it. All of a sudden, it made sense to me. I've heard that dozens of times over the years, literally, and here's why. Before Jesus saves us, our minds are in a state of darkness. We're unable to comprehend and understand the truths of God. But God, in his mercy, what he does is he transfers us out of that darkness into his marvelous light, which means he gives us the ability to understand, to comprehend the realities and the truths of God, and we believe into him. All right, so that's the first state of, of darkness that we're in uh, before Christ. The other state of darkness the Bible talks about is not just intellectual darkness, but it's moral darkness. That before Jesus saved us, before we're Christians, we're in a state of moral darkness. Here's what that means is that when you are in a state of darkness before Christ, moral darkness, not only did you do the deeds of the flesh, not only did you sin, but what the scripture teaches us that darkness means is that you didn't even have the ability to not sin. That you didn't have the ability to not do the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8, 7. Paul says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
for it does not submit to God's law. Watch what he says last. He says, indeed, it cannot. Paul's saying that a a person who is in the flesh, a person who has not been transformed from darkness into light, doesn't even have the ability to follow the law of God. And so before Jesus intervened, the scripture says that you were in darkness. And that means you didn't have the ability to understand or know the truths of God, and you did not have the ability to not sin. Okay, by the way, a little side note here. <clears throat> One thing that hit me when I was uh, studying this week, that what this is saying about non-believers, that they can't understand God, and they do not have the ability to not sin, that ought to really transform the way that we view and look at and be patient with and love people that aren't in Christ. When I was growing up, I used to, not growing up, when I was a young Christian, young in my faith, I would see people sinning, I'd see people doing stupid stuff, and I'd get angry with them. But the the more and more I've studied the word of God, I I realized that 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 anger is the wrong reaction, that when I see sin in a non-believer's life, the reaction ought to be compassion, which, by the way, was always Jesus' response when he saw sin in an unbeliever's life. When he'd get upset is when he saw sin in a a believer's life. When he saw sin in an unbeliever's life, it was always compassion, right? And here's why. They can't help it. The scripture is absolutely abundantly clear. They do not have the ability not to sin, whether it's the the person advocating abortion, whether it's the non-believing roommate that keeps bringing their boyfriend or their girlfriend home every night. We love them. We serve them, we be patient with them because the scripture's saying that they are still walking in darkness, all right? Now let's look back at verse nine one more time and watch what Peter says happened at your salvation and my salvation. Verse nine, he says, but you're a chosen race. He's talking about our identity. Chosen race, royal priesthood, your holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so when God saved you, what he did is he brought you out of this darkness, he put you into the light, which means that every one of us in the room that are believers, two things are true about us, you have the ability to understand and believe the truths of God, and two, you now have the desire and you have the ability to not sin. You have the desire and the ability to not sin. By the way, That is one of the primary evidences of your salvation. One of the primary evidences that you are saved is if you see in yourself a desire to obey God. You're not always gonna do it, but if you see in yourself a desire to obey God, you need to understand something. That is God-given. That is God-given. A person that is still in darkness doesn't even have the desire to honor God or obey God with your lives. Right? You see that desire and you see that ability to say no to sin, that is because you've been called out of that darkness into the marvelous light. Now, keeping those two things in mind, you have a new identity in Jesus that defines you to a greater extent than any other thing in your life. And two, you now have the desire and you have the ability to live in that new identity, to walk in holiness. Look at what Peter says in verse 11. Here's our response to our new identity and our new ability. Watch what he says. He says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. 
He tells us our identity. He tells us our ability. We've been called out of darkness into light. And then he says, okay, here's the response. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain, to say no to fleshly lust. In other words, here's his point. He's like, now that you know who you are in Christ, now that you know what God's given you in Christ Jesus, here is how you now go out and live. You need to stop sinning. You need to stop sinning, all right? Um, Now, here's the thing that we need to remember today. It's important to remember that even though we have now in Christ, if you're a believer, you have the desire and the ability to say no to sin, and you have this new identity, right? Unfortunately, we're still made of flesh. We're still made of flesh. And the flesh, even though you're saved, will carry with it still many of the desires you had before you were saved. I've seen people that had these fleshly, evil, sinful desires before their salvation, and God just miraculously takes them away and heals them from it, and that's awesome. But what you and I who are in Christ already know is that God doesn't always take away our sinful desires, even though now we have the ability and the desire to say no to sin. I'll give you just kind of a goofy example here. <clears throat> not really that goofy, honestly, but um, I'm gonna, I wanna just tell you about one of my besetting sins. Besetting means um, that is not yet sanctified in my life, um, and that is gluttony. Now, you're like, what's gluttony? <clears throat> well, gluttony is actually in the Bible a lot. It's one of the seven deadly sins, and gluttony, um, basically the short version of what the sin of gluttony is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's when food becomes for you more than, than uh, just fuel for your life, and it becomes something that you begin to idolize or that you kind of begin to worship. And for me, the sin of gluttony um, most often manifests itself through Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits, and I'm just being honest. Um, And I don't eat those things very often, right? But when I do, I go for it, right? I, I, for me to eat, if, if I go to Chick-fil-A and I just eat one Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit, that just makes me mad, right? I have, I have eaten four of those things before and that is a sin, that is gluttony. That's when I am just breezing on past f- uh, food as fuel and I'm worshiping some chicken biscuits at that point. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. I, I have to drive every day that I go to the office. I have to drive past a Chick-fil-A every time. It's right there on the, I live south, it's on the corner of 290 and Mopac there, there's one on the corner, and every single time that I drive past that stupid place, I stare at that red sign as I'm driving past it. And I just look at it. And then every time, I'm not trying to be funny, this is not like a pastoral joke, this is my reality, man. And every single day, this, the, the, the desire, the fleshly desire rises up in me to pull over and to go in that place and just throw down every single day. And every day I have to look at that and I, and, and I have to say no to it and I drive on by. Now here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. Although I have the desire to say no to sin and honor God through what I eat, to honor God through my body. And although I now have the ability to say no to sin, like, no, you know what? I'm not gonna go in there and get four Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits. That doesn't honor God. That's gluttony. I'm not gonna do that. I have the ability to do it. That desire, that fleshly lust is still very much there present in my life for that buttery perfection, which is a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit, right? And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, you need to understand something. You've got this new identity who you are and you've got this new ability. God's transferred you out of darkness 
into marvelous light. You now have a desire, you now have the ability to say no to sin, but, let me just remind you everybody, he says, but you still need to get to this place where you're abstaining, where you're saying no to those evil desires that can result in sin in your life when they pop up. Now it's important to note, it's important to note what Peter calls us. Because he says, he says one more thing about us there before he tells us, hey, abstain from these fleshly desires that are, that are gonna come up, these fleshly temptations. He calls us one more thing. And, and I wanna talk about it for just a second because it really gives us some insight again into why we say no to sin as Christians. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> he says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. So he says, look, you're a Christian, you got a new identity, you've been given desire and ability, you need to say no to these desires that are still there. But then he, before he does that, he calls us two things. He says, you guys, you need to remember, you're a stranger and you're an alien. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, both of those words in the Greek are very, very similar and they're synonyms and both of them really mean the same thing. <clears throat> it means a visitor. It means a visitor. Paul say, or rather Peter is saying, hey, look, you need to understand something. This world that you're kind of walking through right now, this place is not your home. This place is not your home. You, all you are, he's trying to remind us, you are just a traveler that is just passing through this world on a way to, to a different home and a better place and, and a new land that you're gonna spend eternity. in. this earth, you're just walking through it. You're just a visitor here. And here's the thing, whenever you go into a new culture, that new culture is gonna have things that the new culture does. And as somebody that is not a citizen of that culture, you have a choice. You can either adopt the culture of this foreign place or you can stand and live in the culture of who you are. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> and this is, uh, this, is, this is kind of a funny one. Um, I might get fired after this, but that's, that's okay, I need a break. And so, um, True story though, my wife will attest to this. Uh, we were in Israel with a group of Austin Stone college students about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago. And, um, and Halim Suh, which is one of our pastors, he preaches, he's the, he's the Asian pastor guy. And he was with us, it was two of us, Jennifer and my wife was there and then like 25 college kids. And one morning we were going to eat breakfast. We'd been driving all day the day before, we were tired, we got to bed late. All our kids were kind of tired, all the college students. And we went downstairs to this buffet line where we were, we were standing there and we, we kind of got up to the front of the buffet line and it was our turn. I was in the front and I was ready to grab my plate and go through the buffet line and eat and all the college kids would follow me. True story, this guy, he was from Germany. I knew that because he started speaking German. Real big dude walks up and literally bumps me. Boom, he kind of hits me and then steps in front of me, grabs a plate and goes into the buffet line. And I'm kind of looking around like, did y'all just see this? And nobody saw it. And so I, I just kind of let it go. I'm like, okay, maybe the guy didn't see me, right? Well, I asked Harlem about it. And Harlem said, look, he said, man, here's the thing. He said, you're, you're an American, so you don't get this. He said, you go to other countries, other cultures, they don't have the concept of personal space like Americans do. Americans are real protective of kind of their space and, and the order they are in line. You go to Korea, you go to other places, they don't care. They'll just bump in front of you. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, that'll never happen to me again, though, until the next morning. We get up there. There was actually a long line waiting to get into the buffet line. 
And I finally get up, true story, I finally get up to the front, and I kid you not, that German dude did it again. And he kind of nuzzled his way in front of me, and he grabbed the plate, and I grabbed his shoulder, and I turned him around, and I looked at him, and I said, nine, which means no in German. It's the only word I know. And dude, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it was about to happen. I mean, it was about to happen. And I looked over, I mean, it's like the closest I've come to getting a fight since the last time I went across the pond to Turkey. But anyway, and I'll tell you about that in another sermon. But I'm looking over, because I'm thinking Halim is gonna come help me. Halim's a big man, he's pretty strong. I'm thinking, Halim, I'm about to get in a fight with a six foot four German, come help me. And I look over there and Halim is just laughing his head off. And so dude, we're, I'm serious, man, we're about to go. I'm about to lose my job because I'm gonna get in a fight in front of all the college kids. And Halim Suh comes walking over to me and he taps me on the shoulder. I'm like, what? And he goes, you're a pastor. I'm like, I don't care. And he's like, but, but you're a Christian, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, good point. And I, I walked away and I calmed down. But here's what I did not do. What I didn't do is get up the next morning and see the line in the buffet and just go, you know what? I'm gonna adopt that part of the culture and just bump the guy up at the front and, and, and take, take the front of the line. I didn't do that because it's not who I am. It, it, you have a choice. You can either see these crazy things in a culture and adopt them or you can say, that's, that's not who I am. I'm not gonna walk and live in that culture. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, you're just a visitor here on this planet. You're just walking through. You're here 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and then you're moving on to your home that you're gonna spend here forever. So while you're here in those 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, do not adopt the culture you live in your identity as a follower of Christ. Now, I wanna summarize everything that Peter said over the last two weeks. I'm gonna get to my point, right, in this sermon, really just one major point in this sermon. Here's what Peter's taught us in the last two weeks. He says, you're a chosen race, handpicked by God. You're a royal priesthood. You're gonna serve in the presence of the Lord, reign with him forever. You're a person that has past tense, received mercy. When God looks at you, he no longer looks at your sin anymore. He, he's taken your sin and thrown it as far as the east is from, from the west. You are a person who has received mercy. You have been given by God the desire and the ability to say no to to sin and to follow Christ and you are a visitor in this world. And so he says in verse 11, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in light of all of that, say no to sin. Now, here's the point of the whole sermon and I want you to hear this. This is gonna sound kind of anticlimactic, but it's actually the more you stop and get quiet and you think about it, it'll kind of change your life. But here's the point of the sermon. The whole point Peter's making today, and really over the last two weeks, is that you and I are to walk in holiness. We're to walk in holiness. We're to say no to the sinful desires of our flesh, not because necessarily sin is just wrong, not just because there's this list of do's and don'ts we need to do or don't do to please God. What Peter's point is, is that you say no to sin because that is not who you are anymore. He says, say no to sin. It's not who you are. 
I think we need to change our language and we need to change our thinking about why we're walking in holiness. If somebody were to come up and ask you, they know you're a Christian and they go, you know what, why, why don't you get drunk? Why don't you sleep with your girlfriend before you're married? Why is your language different? Why don't you cheat on your income taxes? Why are you kind to your employees? When they ask you the question, why do you not sin? One of the most biblical answers to that question is because that's not who I am anymore. It's not my identity. Sin is contrary to who I am. See, here's the thing. The biblical call in our lives, listen, is for our behavior to be, a, our holiness to be a result, not of a set of rules, but our behavior is to be a result of our identity. It's to be the result of who we are. One of the ways to think about that, <coughs> kind of illustrate that for just a second about why our behavior is, it always comes out of our identity and who we are. That's why holiness ought to be coming out of a Christian. It's kind of like this. Y'all ever heard the phrase, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy? That's what that phrase means, is that your behavior is always gonna come out of who you are, even if you take that person out of where they, their identity was formed. And, and look, that, that's been true for me. I grew up in um, this little town in East Texas called Athens, Texas. It's this little tiny town. And my cousin's grandfather owned 500 acres just right outside of town. And so I spent my entire childhood going out there every week pretty much. And um, there were eight or nine stock tanks, which if you don't know what a stock tank is, ask somebody that's wearing cowboy boots in here. And uh, we would go fishing all the time. And we hunted deer and dove and quail. And we always planted, we had crops, we planted corn and green beans. And it was our job to pick that stuff and, 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 and shell them and chuck them and all that, which is really not fun. And, and, but here's the thing, apart from my primary identity in Christ, I am at the core of who I am, a country boy. That's who I am. I, I'm a redneck. I mean, it's who I am. I, I catch birds with my bare hands. It's just, that is who I am as a person. If you don't know what I meant, I just said, Google it when you get done with the sermon today. Um, but what did I do? I'm a country boy. What did I do? I moved to the city. And not just any city, but I moved to Austin, Texas, which is the hipster capital of the universe, right? And here's what I've found about myself. Here's what I've found about myself <clears throat> is that I can hang out in the city and I can do all the stuff that city people do. I can go to downtown, I can go to hang out on South Congress, I can go to a good restaurant on Second Street, I can watch bats fly out of, of, uh, of, of wherever they're flying out of, I can go to ACL Fest, I can, I, I've even worn skinny jeans one time in my life. I gave up on that pretty quick. But here's what I found, that no matter how many times I do the things that city people do, it never quite feels right to me. It never does. It never quite feels like home to me. When I spend too long in the city, I'm just telling you, that's who I am. All in the world I wanna do is get out of the city and go sit in a deer stand. That's where it feels like home to me. Why? Because you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Your, your behavior is always gonna flow out of your identity. Now listen. What Peter's saying here is this. He's saying, look, you can take the Christian away from holiness, but you can never take holiness away from the Christian. It's because who he is. You, you can take, the Christian might step away from holiness, but the whole holiness is always gonna be who the Christian is. 
He's saying, he's saying this, look, listen, 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 because you're a chosen race, because you're a royal priesthood, because you're a person that's received mercy, because you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, because you are a stranger and an alien in this world, he's saying that sinning is something you might do, but sinning is something that you will never feel at ease with. He's saying that sinning is something you might do, as a child of God, but sinning is never something that you'll feel at home in. He's saying that sinning is something you might do, listen, but sinning is something you will never stay in. You know why? Because it's not who you are. It's not who you are. And your behavior will always go back to your identity. I think this is probably what Jesus was talking about in the story of the prodigal son. I think this was probably where he's getting at because you see, you've got the son. You've got the son. He's a son. He leaves his dad. Says, dad, wish you were dead. Want my inheritance. Takes the inheritance. Goes to the faraway land and just sins like crazy. Sins like crazy. Runs away from home. Sins like crazy. But the scripture Jesus said, Jesus said that there was this moment where this son who had run away from the faraway land and walked away from his dad and got mired in sin, Jesus said there was a moment where he came to his senses. Which means that he looked around. He's like, ah, this place stinks. I'm sick of this. This is not who I am. My, my dad's got a house and there are people, there, there are servants there living better than I'm living right here. And so he comes to his senses. Jesus says he stands up. He gets out of the pig pen. He dusts himself off and he walks home. Jesus told that story because I think one of the points he's trying to make is this. Listen, if you are a true son and you are a true daughter of the king, I don't care how far into sin you run, if you're a son or you're a daughter, there will always, 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 always be a come to your senses moment. Every time. It's who you are. There will always be a time where in the middle of your sin, it will hit you. This is not who I am anymore. And you'll get up and you'll go back home every single time. Every single time in my life that I've taken a trip to the faraway land, and I've taken a couple, there's always a pesky little voice. It's the Holy Spirit. That's not who you are. I've ignored it a few times, keep on running. The voice gets louder to the point where it's screaming. This is not who you are. This is not who you are. You are a son of the living king. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people after God's own possession. You've been called out of darkness in a marvelous light and every single time I finally submit and I stand up and I get out of the big pen and I come home. I've said this before from the stage, I'll say it again. For the, for the believer, sinning, listen, sinning is a monumental waste of time. Can you just hear that? For the believer, sinning is a monumental waste of time. I don't care how enticing the faraway land looks to you. I don't care how fun or, or fresh or exciting that far, faraway land looks to you. I'm gonna make you a promise that you can take to a bank. If you are really a believer, you will never be happy in the faraway land. 
You will never be at peace there. You will never feel at home there ever. And you will never, ever, ever stay there because it's not who you are. You'll always come home. Now, here's the thing. I'm almost done, but I I think it's important to remember that there are a lot of times when we hear the phrase abstain from fleshly lust, that a lot of times our first reaction is to think about sexual sin, fleshly lust, we think about sexual sin. And there may be some of you that that's where you are running to the faraway land is in sexual sin. But for for others of you, that, that may not be your hang up. And so I think the temptation is for us to kind of tune this out and go, I don't really have any fleshly lust that I need to abstain from. But you can't ever forget that when the Bible talks about the deeds of the flesh, there's a pretty long list and sexual sin is just one of them. When the Bible talks about the deeds of the flesh, it talks about things like idolatry which is taking anything and giving it a greater portion of the affection of your heart than you do God. And so we as people, we may not be hung up in sexual sin, but we can, we can take things like money or power or, or, or fame or our body image or our marriage or our job, comfort, control, approval. We can take all these things and we can pursue them to a greater degree than we do God. Those are us saying yes to the lust and desires of our flesh. The Bible talks about the the desires of the flesh being things like anger. It's when you lash out in ungodly anger at your employees. You lash out in ungodly anger at your children. You lash out in ungodly anger at your spouse. That is you having a moment where you're saying yes to the sinful desires of the flesh. Talks about things like um, selfishness when you think or act in a way that you consider other people more important than yourself. That's saying yes to the desire of the flesh. Talks about jealousy, that's on the list. That's when you begrudge the success or possessions of others. Those, those things, acting on those things, those are, those are saying yes to the deeds of the flesh. Talks about strife, that's on the list. A strife is when you're in an ongoing, unrepentant state of conflict or an ongoing, unrepentant place of living in unforgiveness with somebody in your life. All those are these lusts of the flesh that you said yes to. And guys, I would argue, and I would guess that there's probably some of you in the room, and you're a Christian, you're a believer, you really are, but there's an unsettledness in your spirit, and you have a gnawing lack of peace in your soul, and and you read verses like, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus, and you read that, and you're like, you know, I don't know if that's true of me, and you can't put your finger on why that that lack of peace, that lack of, 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 of contentment is in your heart. And I would be willing to bet the farm that the reason that that is there is because you've allowed some lust of the flesh to take root in your, in your heart. There's some desire of your flesh that you are saying yes to. You might not even realize it's there. And that unsettledness, that lack of peace, all in the world it is, all in the world it is, is the gentle voice voice of your father whispering to you. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. It's time to come back home, right? And I'll end with this. There's three kinds of people in the room today. You're, You're pretty much in one of the three, for believers anyway. There's the believer that you're here, you're good. 
You don't have any lust of the flesh that come to mind that you're having to abstain from, that you're fighting, that you're having to say no to. And you're kind of like that older brother in the prodigal son, man, you stayed at home, you're doing your job, you're out in the fields, you're working, everything's good. Now here's the thing, if that's where you are, that's awesome. That's great. You need to obey God. You need to stay at the house. That's who you are. You're living your identity. That's amazing. But here's the thing you can never forget. The only reason that you have not left home, the only reason that you have not taken off to the faraway land is because it is God that called you out of darkness into marvelous light and he gave you the desire and he gave you the ability and you need to praise God for that today. That's the only reason you're walking in holiness is because God did that in your heart. And you need to praise him for that today. There's other people that are here and you're a believer, but you're looking at the faraway land. And if you're honest, you're, you're like, man, that looks kind of good to me. And you're, 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 still, you're still at home, but you're looking out on the horizon and you're thinking, man, I'm wondering if there's something out there that I'm missing out on because I'm obeying God and you're thinking about taking a trip. Don't do it. It's literally a waste of time. You can go there, but you'll never be at peace there. You'll never be happy there. You'll never find life there, and you'll never stay there because it's not who you are. You'll always come home. You'll just come home with a little pig stink on you. And finally, there's probably a handful of us here today that you're a believer, but you're in the faraway land. You're in a place of unrepentant sin in your life and you are miserable. And the reason you are miserable because that faraway land is not your home and that sin is not who you are anymore. So today, right now, come to your senses. Come to your senses, climb up over the fence of the pig pen, step out of the pig pen, and you start walking home. And I wanna make a promise to you if you'll do that. Your heavenly father's waiting on you. And he's looking at the horizon and he's waiting. And when he sees you, he's not gonna give you a lecture. He's not gonna say, I told you so. He's not gonna scold you. When your father sees you walking away from the pig pen and walking towards him, he will take off in a dead sprint to you. And he will throw his arms around you. And he'll say, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. If that's where you're at, it's time to come home. Let's pray together. I want you to take a second and as the bands come forward and bow your heads and I just, wherever you're at today, just take a minute and talk to the Lord. do business with him. If you're here and you've you've stayed home, you're walking well with your father, thank him for that. That's his doing. 
He gave you the desire. He gave you the ability. He called you out of darkness into light. Worship him for that today. If you feel an unsettledness in your spirit and you think, man, there's something I'm missing out on if I walk in holiness, believe the word of God. It's not who you are anymore. It'll never work. If you're in a faraway land today, you come home. God's had his eyes on you for a really long time. Father, I thank you that you've changed us. I thank you that you didn't just come and save us and then move on and forget us, but you, you made us brand new people. You chose us. You call us priests. You tell us we're holy. You tell us we have mercy. Thank you for transforming us, God, out of darkness into light. God, thank you for all that you've done. I pray that we would live in light of who we are. And I ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord.